After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Revelation 18, verses 1 through 3. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. We're going to talk about cursed places and, if time permits, blessed places. Zellwin, how are you? I'm doing great, Willie. The weather out here is a very nice temperature. You know, it's kind of cool, chilly, not bitterly cold, which is nice. Having to deal with all the ice is kind of a problem, but otherwise, I mean, I'm I'm enjoying it. It's it's a it's a great day and a great day to be alive, right? Uh, amen. It is presently forty. No, that's not right. It can't be 46 degrees. Let me update my my weather watcher here. It is in the 60s now. It was in the 40s this morning. So uh, we're in the 60s. It feels much, much warmer than that. Uh, we had a little bit of ice last week, but beyond that, we are, we're rocking and rolling. Church still happened. People made it. Gospel was preached. Sacraments rightly administered. God is in heaven, so it feels pretty good. I am extra amped. I'm extra juiced because we read from Revelation, Babylon has fallen. And the round-headed me, uh, one of my favorite songs is Babylon Has Fallen. I know it's one of your favorites, too. Well, I mean, uh, it's literally our outro music, so... It is. You gotta love it. So, we're ready. So, yeah, weather is good. The subject's gonna be fun today, so I'm ready to rock and roll. Uh, All right. Yeah, um, hopefully you'll be thawed out sometime by Easter. <laughs> uh, maybe. We'll see. I mean, Easter is, what, April 17th this year, if I remember yep. right? Ash Wednesday is coming up March 2nd. Do you have your ashes ready? They're getting close. But I was going to say that it's not unusual to still have winter-ish weather in May around here. So, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. You, you do what you have to. Do uh, Do you ash at your congregation? We do. Yep. I'm just waiting on the some of this stuff to, to arrive so we can take care of that. But yeah, that's uh, full service, ashes, the whole the whole bit. I know that's, what, two weeks away now? So It is. I've got to buy a new ash bowl. I left my ash uh, my ashing equipment behind by mistake. So, uh, <laughs> And I've got to make the ashes here before too long. So, yeah, Lent will be here. And hopefully we all come out of uh, a Lent a bit more slim and trim or fatter, depending upon how Lutheran you want to be about this. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about cursed places a little bit. Okay. You know, Zelman, why why are we taking up this? We've done some really fun ones this season, the Satanic Panic, Territorial Spirits. People are listening to them. People are liking them. Why curse places? Well, because when we were doing the episode on Territorial Spirits, it kind of came up during the discussion about how uh, places, like physical places, can also be under a curse. They can also be suffering evil. And so... I wanted to delve into that a little bit more and talk about what the Bible actually has to say, because I think it says something also about the nature of evil in general and, mm -hmm. uh, and, what, that, and, and what that does not only to a man, but also does to the creation itself. Right. 
this is where we have been trying to stress that as God acts in history, it has an effect on the things around him. So it affects not only the people, but also at times even the land, the very matter around him. This is one more attempt at us to remind you that God exists and that God isn't far <laughs> off. And that when God touches or passes over something, it has an effect. Um, just like Moses gazing at God's back and his face glowing, you can't come anywhere near the divine without it having some effect. And I do believe that the cursing of a land is in a way a divine effect because if God is handing a land over to her own desires, to her own sins, or to the devil, that is God choosing to let them fall into that. If not outright cursing it himself, as in the case with, say, Sodom and Gomorrah. Right, right. Well, and it's also important for us to consider because uh, many of the things that we would be seeing happening today, for example, you could even say the physical things that we see happening today, I would attribute to a judgment because of the sin of man. And uh, that, that evil that men have done is expressing itself not only in society, but in the creation itself. And so yeah. this has very practical applications even for today. Right. And we're going to get into that. You know, it's 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 going to be another case of, well, God used to work like that, but I don't believe he does anymore. Really? And, yeah, you know, we, we become kind of like, a, it is actually a dispensational way of thinking. If you think, if you know, think about that. Because, okay, God could send weather disasters in the Old Testament to punish people, but he doesn't do that anymore. Well, why? Well, we're in a different era now. Well, okay. Well, yeah. good, way to, good job, C.I. Schofield. <laughs> I mean, you, you read Christians in centuries gone past, whenever there was an earthquake or something, the first thing they did was, you know, pray litanies and call on God to be merciful to them because they understood better than we do, apparently, uh, that these things come from God, you know, that this is judgment as well as anything else. Oh, absolutely. And like, even if it isn't, the right instinct is to pray to God in these matters. I absolutely. mean, the right instinct is not to go, oh, well, stuff happens. <laughs> I mean, yeah, look, 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 sometimes disasters are as simple as you hire the wrong engineer for this bridge. Okay. Sure. You, you went with the cheapest concrete contractor for your dam. But also that too might be a sign of God's judgment, turning you over to bad contractors. I don't know. But, you know, when you have a ton of tornadoes, when, when there is an earthquake, hail, tempest, all of these things, how does that not remind the Christian of God working and what they've seen in the scriptures? But that's a little bit different than what we're talking about here. We're not, we're not just talking about God controlling the weather. We're talking about actual cutting off of lands, as it were. Right. Or even things like a failure of the harvest, things like a land becoming less productive than it did, yeah. than it was before you know this this kind of judgment which is laid down even upon the physical creation so that we would say you would see things that we would now attribute to oh well you know this is i don't know you could bring in global warming if you accept that sort of thing you know we always look for these naturalistic explanations for these sorts of things but in reality what we see happening is a judgment upon sin, a judgment yes. coming from God. So, 
Right. That's really what we're what we're driving at with this episode. Mm-hmm. And it could be a difficult thing to discuss. Um, we don't, you go into the Bible difficulties thing. You know, how can God allow this to happen? Um, why do the righteous suffer under the unrighteous? All these kinds of things, which we'll kind of get into as we go along. So, Zelman, let's jump into the Bible here so that people can understand just what we're talking about. All right. Well, I mean, maybe the... Maybe the best place to begin this discussion would be dealing with God's judgment laid upon the creation itself. So let's begin with Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So, I mean, Paul here in this section is talking about the the corruption to which the creation has been subjected because of the sin of man. You know, that Adam's sin and our sin and the sins that we continue to do are not only affecting ourselves, they're not only affecting society, they're actually affecting the creation itself. Now, what would that look like, Willie? I mean, what is what do you think Paul has in mind here? Well, I mean, we got to start with the beginning one. So you've got the curse that happens, which is the most basic way in which we see the ground being cursed. Um, mm-hmm. It now works against you. We have thorns and thistles. It's harder to plow things. You know, I'm actually very curious about how farming worked in the garden, but that's uh, that's for another another time. Okay, so everything in the world is going to perish. Everything will eventually become barren. I mean, that's that's kind of the nature of over-farming, right? Or even right. something like erosion. Right. Natural erosion is, is an example of this. Floods happen and valleys are created and, and new rivers. The, the world is working against you. I mean, and I'm taking this in a physical way for now. I mean, sinkholes opening up and swallowing you, which does happen. And it happens right. in the Bible, at least in one notable case. Right. Uh, but that was clearly God's doing. But everything else now is subject to futility. I mean, we will die. Uh, we are bound to corruption until Christ frees us. And the whole creation has been suffering through this. The As creation is subject to futility, that is kind of the birth pangs waiting for Christ to come. And this is why I think we have to talk about blessing too, because... Okay, if we are all as part of creation, I'm a creative being, you're a creative being, everyone listening to this is creative being, listening to this podcast through created means. Right. We are subject to futility, but you and I have now been reborn in Christ and are being remade in Him, repairing that image, walking toward Him. So that while the whole world in the fall is cursed, and then that will be demonstrated in very specific ways for very specific sins going forward, as we're going to talk about. The world now is also being blessed in a local way because we are renewed, and I do believe that where the church is and where that kingdom is being built, in a way, let's not take it too far, the land is blessed um, and sometimes even physically blessed. Sure. Well, how often do you have in the Old Testament a very clear declaration that they will have a blessing upon the land itself? 
I mean, yes. that's often how God speaks of the age to come, how he speaks of the, the coming glory uh, right. in the Old Testament is often in terms of like your crops will be fruitful, yeah. your your lambs will bear. I mean, this is, I, and, I mean, and, you, you yeah, could and, call and, it just metaphor, but and, I think and it's and more than that. It, yeah, and I'm not comfortable, you know, just again, making this firm dichotomy between Old and New Testaments regarding this. Because we love to, to go back to the promise to the children of, of the Exodus, you know, that their children will be blessed or whatever, and apply that to the New Testament. But when it comes to this other stuff, we want to we want to kind of pick and choose. What passes away is the ceremonial and arguably the civil law. The moral law, which is what is your what you're really blessed in keeping. Okay, because the moral law begins with thou shall have no other gods before me. Right. People forget that. The moral law isn't... And anyway, I won't get into that. But the moral law begins with the first commandment. Right. So um, there are blessings attached to that. And you can, you can like it or not like it, but you can't say it's not in the Bible. Now, what I'm not saying is that we're going to build a perfect earthly kingdom up. Everybody's on edge after the Spainer episode and, <laughs> and pietism. <laughs> I'm not ushering in a millennial kingdom or anything like that. But I do think that there is something to be said for dominion and for a land being blessed by its faithfulness to Christ, its faithfulness to God. Will you suffer as a Christian? Yes, that is the promise. Will you be blessed spiritually? Yes. This is not a prosperity gospel thing either. It is just simply a general principle that the land, that the nation that blesses God is blessed by God. Right. I, that's a biblical principle. The church suffering does not negate that. The church is called to suffer too. And there, there are seasons of prosperity and, and plenty, and there are seasons of woe and want. But that doesn't negate the promises of God. No, absolutely. And I, and I don't think that we should try to negate any of this by saying, well, the promises are fulfilled in Christ. Of course they are fulfilled in Christ. All of these things find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. But part of that is that he does bless those who hold to him. He does bless his body. And I, I don't see why we would want to shy away from that blessing, including physical blessings, because are we going to be so detached from this creation, from this world that we live in, to say that God just doesn't care about it anymore? Right, yeah. For all of our use and overuse of the word Gnostic, over and against the people who deny the physical, we are in great danger of doing that when we limit all the blessings of God just to some kind of feeling or legal declaration or something like that. Right. We are truly remade. I mean, in, in our, I mean, even physically we will be remade and I, and are being remade. This is all tied together. You realize that the, that the new heavens and the new earth are joined together, that the eschaton is a physical reality, right. not, not an ethereal <laughs> spiritual thing. Um, and we get glimpses of just as we get glimpses of the spiritual reality here, your sins are forgiven. You, you're giving the gift. You're given the gift of faith. I think too, we are given glimpses of the physical reality here too. Yes, through miracles that are performed, but also through just the temporal blessings. I think first article gifts given to Christians are are evidence of that. I know that everybody, whether they believe or not, receive the first article gifts. I know, but if you can acknowledge that it's from God and give thanks and praise to the glory of God, is that not somehow a transformation of the cursed into the blessed? I don't see why it wouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, it's it 
And, and, and I know we, we, we're talking much more about blessing at the moment, you know, places being blessed rather than Well, cursed. I'm going gospel law. <laughs> Why not? I mean, it's our podcast. We can do what we want. <laughs> right. But I mean, the, the, the emphasis is still there because God does want to bless his people in his son. And as, as you rightly point out, you know, when we are resurrected, it's not just a spiritual resurrection. It's not just going to heaven. So that we're in the, and then we just kind of hang out on a cloud somewhere singing songs forever. I mean, I know that that's sometimes the conception that we mistakenly have, even even if we don't intend to have it. But as we emphasize again and again at funerals, or we should emphasize at least, you know, the, the resurrection is coming and it's a physical thing. And part of that physical resurrection will be a physical blessing, a perfect physical reality in which we will live and in which we will glorify God forever. So if we are being renewed, why can't the physical realm around us also be renewed at the same time? And and it is promised to be. I mean, Peter, it's going to be destroyed by fire, but it's going to be remade. We are going to be torn down and built up. This is already happening. And that's mirrored in Christ. He is torn down and built up. He is the temple torn down and built up. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, don't deny that you're matter. <laughs> um, and that, like, the world is cursed, but the world is being redeemed. Right. It has been redeemed. And so we're going to, and so everybody or every Christian seems to be easily able to say, I understand the world being cursed because, because of all, you know, like we talked about before, thorns and thistles, all of that stuff, disease, illness, disaster. The difficult thing for us is going to be, well, what does particular cursing and blessing look like? Right. When a nation or a town or a tribe is particularly cursed, even in the case of the Canaanites, we'll say a people. Right. When they when they are particularly cursed, that's where we begin to bristle. And it's it's arguably kind of a Bible difficulty. How could God do this? I think we'll talk about that. But that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we have to take the text at what it says and, and just deal with that. And so that's why we're talking about it today. Um, because and, and immediately everybody's, the question's going to be, is America cursed? We'll get to that. <laughs> that's that's what everybody's waiting on. Or or is it fair to judge America as America, or do we have to go state by state or region by region? We know, Zelwyn, where you're at, the Dakotas are very blessed. <laughs> Even if you think the winter weather is evidence of God's judgment, I suppose. It may well be. <laughs> <laughs> but it might just also, you know, keep out the riffraff. I don't know. So all I'm saying is, is where it's cold, you don't get you don't get questionable people as much. So you get you get just good hearty stock, right? Is that what you're saying? Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, we've got to take our first break. We'll be right back with more word fitly spoken right after this.
back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heine. We're talking about cursed lands, cursed places, and what that means. All right, Zell, in a fun first segment, let's jump into the text here. Where are we going? I like how we talked about blessing first before we talk, talk about curse, but it is what it is. <laughs> we'll, loop, we'll, we'll come back around. <laughs> okay, so I think we should start with uh, some of the clear passages regarding this concept, because when we talk about cursed places, we're really talking about two different ideas. One being a curse laid upon a land because of evil, and two, a place which is, for the lack of a better way of describing it, kind of evil already because of the the fall into sin. So we're going to be looking at that first one, which is a curse laid upon a land because of evil. And the passage that we want to look at first is Leviticus chapter 20, starting in verse 22. God says, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. So we'll stop there for the moment, and we can go on a little bit more if we want. But the basic idea being that because of the evil which the people were doing, in this case, before Israel came into the promised lands, we're talking about the Canaanites in particular, the land is said to vomit them out. And basically, uh, the the curse is being laid upon the land because of their evil. Right, Willie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, couldn't, couldn't be any more clear than that. And, and, and so God is calling to Israel to not walk in the evil of the, the Canaanites to do the same thing, lest the land also vomit them out. They be rejected out of the land, and the land suffer as a result of their sins. And then maybe the, the other passage that we should consider before we talk about this at a little bit more length is Psalm 107, uh, starting at verse 33, where it says, He, that is God, turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. And I mean, that that in itself is probably the, the clearest passage of all for this concept. Yes. So... How do we want to unpack that then, Willie? I know we've kind of laid out the biblical groundwork. How do we how do we explain what this means? Well, I mean, the pattern of blessing and cursing, uh, this is where we become very nervous as Lutherans, as good Protestants, because it is it is reward for what you're doing. It is reward for obedience. Right. I don't know a way to get around that in the text. <laughs> I mean, it's Old Old Testament. Right. You can say, yes, it begins with faith. Of course it does. But the evil you commit is why it's, you know, turned into into slavery. So if you're blessed by obeying God, of course that proceeds from faith. If you're cursed for disobeying, then that, of course, proceeds from unbelief. Maybe that'll help our, our, our listeners understand a little bit better. But it's right here. I don't know a way textually to just say, well, that, that was the Old Testament or that only applies to Israel. Because then you're, 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 you have this dilemma. Well, only Israel can be blessed then? And, <laughs> and every other nation can be cursed? You know, is that what it's saying here? No, of course not. 
but, but that's the only other option if you want to if you want to take it that way. Well, this specifically only applies to Israel, and I just I don't see it in the text, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially because when God is talking about the evil of the Canaanites, the evil that was preceding Israel in the land. He doesn't want them to participate in that same evil, lest the land be cursed further. So the coming of Israel in this sense is a blessing upon the land because yeah. of what God is doing for them. They are cleansing it of its evil. They are taking away the curse which has been laid upon it. But if they persist in the same sins, that curse returns. Yes. And I think for us to talk about this, so we automatically want to fast forward. What does that mean for us? Is it is it because we permit evil, but maybe, and yes, but of course, but it begins with what am I doing personally? Mm -hmm. Am I complicit in sin? Am I complicit in evil? The danger we have here is to jump out and go see all those evil people out there. This is why the land is cursed. Mm -hmm. But God speaks to Israel as a whole because of what you all have done. Right, right. And, and I'm being a little subtle with that, uh, just simply to make it clear that it's not going to do us any good to say, well, if we could get rid of all of these, quote unquote, undesirables or whatever, we can get rid of those evil people over there, we'll be better. But we have to begin by looking at our own hearts. You know, so it's, a, it's an easier case in the Old Testament because it's very clear. Go get rid of these people. Get these people out of the land. I will bless you unless you begin to live like them, then you will be cursed. Right. In our context, it becomes a little trickier. We don't have that specific promise, you know, go and conquer Canaan, for example. But we do have go ye into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are we cursed as a result of failing to share the gospel or failing to live out the gospel? I don't know. What do you think, Zelda? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a hard question because... We're peering into the, some hidden things here. Right. And ultimately, God has his reasons for laying curses upon the land. In the case of the Canaanites, it's very clear that he's doing so because of their abominable practices, uh, their religious practices, their false worship, and the, the temptation that they would present to right. Israel. Well, which is also why Israel is cursed or judged mm -hmm. in the Babylonian captivity and elsewhere. Right. In the right. year AD, AD 70, we would argue at word fitly. Um, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, and the point becomes pretty clear that because of that particular sin, that is why the land was cursed in that case. That is why they were vomited out and driven out of the land. Okay. But in our case, we don't always have that kind of clarity. Is it, is it because of not living out the gospel, as you say? Is it because of a particular sin that is being tolerated in our nation? Is it because of, you know, what, what exactly it is? We cannot always speak with certainty, but we can know that many of the problems that we are seeing, even in the physical creation, are a result of a sin right. that we are doing, even if we can't say specifically what that sin is. Sure. So do so, you think it's fair to apply Psalm 107 or Leviticus to our current situation or, or modern, new, the New Testament era, we'll say? I don't see why we, we can't. 
I mean, if God is causing, let's say, the, the fruitful land to be turned into a salty waste, you know, if he strikes the land with famine, if he strikes the land with a less productivity, if he's causing, you know, these other disasters to happen, even now, I don't see how we can just say, oh, well, that's just the way the world is now. Well, this has to be God's judgment. Right. And I, I think part of the problem is when thinking about this, we're waiting on a big famine, a big crop failure, a great natural mm-hmm. disaster. I think that the clearest evidence of a nation or a people being cursed is Romans one twenty eight, And since they did not see fit right. to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And right. so typically Old Testament, New Testament, modern times, what you see is a nation that is handed over to carnal and lukewarm guides. So the people at the very top find their minds darkened, and soon the whole nation finds themselves that way. Sometimes it works in the opposite order, but this is ultimately what the handing over looks like. The curse really looks like a mind that is darkened, a mind that is being handed over to its own passions and to its own sinful desire. Men seeking to live in the way that they think is right rather than the way that God has revealed. And so uh, because of that, the curse looks more and more like people just living under tyranny, uh, even when they don't see it. People living in the midst of wickedness and embracing it because of the condition of their minds. Well, and I would argue that that condition, you know, the darkening of the mind so that their their foolish hearts were darkened, to use the language of, of Romans again, also expresses itself in some of the things that we've been talking about because they won't see these physical judgments, these curses laid upon the land itself as God's judgment. They will yes. explain it away yes. as natural disaster. It just sort of happened. You can't really do anything about it. That's just the way the world is. Rather than saying, let us repent and turn back to the Lord our God. Right. 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 So the, the part of the darkening of the mind, as you rightly point out, is an a unwillingness to submit and to repent because of this judgment, which is being laid also upon the land itself. Right. You know, the, the question people are going to ask is, um, and we're going to look at another way in which lands can be cursed and inhabited by evil things a little bit later on, but, you know, why would a loving God visit curses upon people? And the scriptures really give a couple different answers for that. You know, one, it is very clearly simply punishment measured out for wickedness. Now, in the case of the Canaanites, it makes sense. Um, God is free to do what he wants. Uh, the wages of sin is death. And sometimes the wages are paid in full by the person uh, rather than rather than in Christ. Okay, so there's that. But the other side is for the people of God, it is a form of chastisement. It is a very stern rebuke. It is a chastisement meant to wake us up. How does a natural disaster do that? It reminds us that we are at the mercy of God and that we rely fully upon God. I wonder if economic crashes in our context are not a version of this. An economy that is kind of built upon greed, that people put their trust in. And I'm sorry, our our economy is based upon the pursuit of profit. And you can use that profit well and in a Christian way, but at the end of the day, 
for most people, it is simply a pursuit of wealth and earthly security. So people begin to put their hope only in those things. And then when there is a collapse and they lose their station, they're faced with a couple things. A Christian can look at this and say, okay, God has used this to humble me. God has used this to teach me something. Or on the other side, you can see it without the eyes of faith and be given to despair. Right. Because basically what's happened is Thor's oak has been felled in that case. <laughs> Based. <laughs> well, and and when it comes to these things too, when we are dealing with the, the reality of a curse being laid upon a land, I mean, we ask, you know, how can, how can God let this happen? You know, why does he let this happen? I mean, he has to judge evil, right? He has to do something about it. Otherwise, he would not be good. Because if God just sort of let it happen, say, oh, well, what are you going to do about it? There's guess there's nothing I can do. How is that righteous? How is that Correct. doing the right thing? It's not. He has to judge evil. And in this case, if he lays down a judgment also upon the land, also upon the physical creation, that is a just thing for him to do. Yeah. And again, the, the fall is the ultimate example of this. This is... It is judgment for that first sin, right. and it extends to all of creation. So the principle is already laid down. So why can't we have, a, just as we had one great global flood, we understand that there can be local floods. Right. And it's the same principle. God did say he would never again flood the earth. He didn't say he wouldn't, call, he didn't say local floods wouldn't happen, right? Right, right. So... Why couldn't local curses happen? We know local curses happen. And and the tricky part for this discussion is because we're applying it to land and locations. We understand people being cursed, not in a voodoo way, but Ananias and Sapphira. There you go. You were just looking how to work it in, I know. But. Always. You always gotta work Ananias and Sapphira in. <laughs> but we don't want to be we don't want to be haughty about this either. We're talking about this because we want to know about the security of our people the security of our nation, what God is trying to teach us here. Uh, we're not trying to teach you to simply cower before God and hope that the sky doesn't fall upon you. We're trying to teach you that there are consequences to this and what must we do as citizens of the kingdom to live through this and to learn from this. Right. And ultimately what God is teaching everyone through these things is to repent and turn to him. That the curses, in a way, although they are his judgment, to some they may well be a gracious act because they are they are showing he is showing them through these hard times that they must turn to him. Or he's also showing that through these things, uh, his judgment upon evil, like the destruction of the wicked, is also a a good thing because it shows that he is not forgetting the cries of his people. You yes. Know, you know, even even these things can be an expression of his mercy in that way. But I know we don't usually talk about it in that way, and maybe that's why the discussion can be difficult, because we don't like to think of judgment as being a kind of gospel in a way. <laughs> right, or the law being kind of a like a good thing, because it's our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Right. Um, you, know, you know, the law being a mirror that shows you your sin is actually a gracious thing. He could have left you without it. Right. And you would have been like the Gentiles in Romans 1, 
right? You you would have still sinned. You would have become a law unto yourself and sinned anyway. But, but uh, yeah, I, but people forget that 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 God. I mean, if you're doing something wrong, let's say it's your job, you would hope that somebody would come along and correct you, right? To show you a better way, and that's what's going on here. The gracious working of God is also evident in him showing us a better way. And why that is so hard for people, I do not understand. And what, I mean, obeying it, what I mean, folks, is why it's so hard for people to grasp the concept that God showing us his will is bad. It's hard It's hard to do. We can't fulfill that law in ourselves. That's, that is the hard part. But the concept shouldn't be that hard. Right, right. Well, yeah, that might be a discussion for another time, too. Sure. But no, I, I think I think the point is clear, though, even if we're kind of wandering all over the place here, which is fine. It's kind of a broad subject. So uh, but when we are when we're dealing with these, the curses laid upon the physical creation because of sin, uh, it is in one in some cases a judgment unto death. And it is in some cases a call unto repentance. I mean, I think that's really what you're trying to drive at here. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And uh, we sh- we should also see the blessing laid upon the land uh, because of faithfulness, because of God's people, as being a good thing. Although I suppose you could also point out in many times uh, these kinds of physical prosperity can be a leading unto judgment too. Well, look, so. I, you know, I look at the blessing of a nation can be just like the bronze serpent in the wilderness. Right. Okay, God raises that bronze serpent up as a gracious thing so that they would be saved from the venom of the serpents. Right. But they eventually turn it into an idol that has to be destroyed. Right. I think national prosperity is much the same thing. God can bless a nation with great prosperity and with many, many good things, and we can quickly begin to abuse that. And that may well be what America has done. Yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult to deny that America did, did have unusual material prosperity at least, especially in its early years. I mean, it's very difficult to deny that we are a nation which has prospered in a way that few other nations have materially. But that in itself should lead us to a recognition of those gifts, as well as a recognition that we need to repent of our thanklessness as prosperity is not like we're not preaching the prosperity gospel here but prosperity is not always an indicator of infidelity right just the same as poverty is not always an indicator of piety right god does bless some people with wealth and he expects them to do good with it and to help build his kingdom with it (laughs) i mean lydia is exists right (laughs) lydia has entered the chat kind of a thing Right. And so that, that shouldn't be that, that, you know, it's, we're, we're kind of in these dueling sort of pieties here where we're either trying to prove that one of us is less holy or more holy and things like that. When it's, it's a basic question here of we need to do the best with what God has given us and trust that if he's given us a lot, it's from his hand and he expects us to, to be good stewards of that. And if he gives us little, we, he expects us to be good stewards of it as well. But when he does bless us greatly, then we should be able to acknowledge that and know what we need to do with it. And when we are under his chastisement, we need to be able to recognize that too and know what we need to do there. Namely, we'll repent. 
and turn unto him. Well, we got to take our next break. We'll be right back with more Cursed Talk <laughs> right after this. back everyone you are listening to a word fitly spoken i'm willie grills here with zell and heidi and if you're still with us we're going to talk more about cursed places well we talked about uh you know god handing over places to judgment or judging them themselves god blessing the land but now let's talk about another type of curse that can come upon a land or another way in which things can be said to be cursed uh, we're going to talk about demons now now, we've been doing this over a few episodes. Uh, we like to space them out because we don't actually like to talk about evil spirits that much. And yet, because of a lot of uh, you know viewer in, or listener interest and a lot of things going on in the world right now, people are hungry to hear about spiritual warfare, the spiritual side of things, so and how that's manifested in our world. And so, Zelwyn, what are we going to talk about? Well... Yeah, as as you point out, we need to kind of shift from a curse being laid upon a land because of sin and a land which is, for the lack of a better way of putting it, kind of cursed because it's the place of demons, the place of the demonic. And within the scriptures, this is often referred to as a, a wilderness or an unclean place. And so we're going to begin with a Leviticus 16, uh, in particular, talking about the scapegoats, but in verse 10, it says uh, that this goat may be, may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So the wilderness is described as being a place of Azazel. It's being the place of his domain, if you want to use that kind of language. Um, this is where he is. Azazel, of course, being a demonic spirit, uh, which is given by name here. Right. We also see this a little bit at work before we talk about it at a little bit more detail in Matthew chapter four, actually, uh, when Jesus is said to be led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, the wilderness there is not incidental. It is the, the place of the devil. It is the place of the demonic spirits. So before we go on to another passage, I think that will be helpful for this. What, how do we want to unpack that, Willie? What do we want to talk about uh, Azazel, just kind of, you know, what what his deal is? Well, <laughs> I know you want to, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he is kind of the the demon of uncleanliness. I mean, you get that in, in rabbinical Judaism, so a little bit later, but I mean, the guy shows up in, uh, in Enoch um, and elsewhere. He is, uh, he is kind of a representation of the, uh, the sins of a place. The sins of a nation. I mean, that's why he's connected with the scapegoat, right? Right. And I don't want to. This is this will take way too long to talk about this. So I don't want to 
bring up the book of Enoch. Why, why haven't we just done the, the episode? Is my question. But <laughs> anyway, um, soon, soon. But to have remember Second Temple Judaism, and of course we're talking about Old Testament here. But I'm kind of giving the interpretation as that comes a little bit later, which is I would agree. You know, it is what it is. The spirits, the demons in particular, are associated with either a specific place or a specific thing. So Azazel is associated then with the scapegoat. Sure. So it, so how does that tie into uncleanliness? Well, it's it's the sins of the people being put on the goat and being, you know, sent away to or with that, right? Sure. I think the the scapegoat uh, is you know, kind of a tricky one because you have sins being put on the goat and then being sent out to Azazel. Right. And it's like, okay, so are we making an offering to this angel? I don't, I don't think that's the point there. It's basically casting the sins out to the unclean, to the unclean right. place. Right. That's how I would, that's how I would interpret that. Yeah. To, so in other words, the goat is leaving the clean place, the place of where the people are, and is going out into the wilderness, which is the unclean place, which is the domain of the the evil spirits. Correct. And you also you also get this notion too uh, when Jesus talks about, like in Matthew twelve, when he says the unclean when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking yes. rest, but finds not. So yes. there is a a physicality. To where these spirits are, right, and that's and that's really the point yeah. of there. The there is a local case. presence, right, of a spirit. You can have that. <laughs> right, they can. They they, you know, you're thinking of like a spirit and like, well, they can't occupy space. Yeah, but they exist in it, and they can right. be places. It shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> this is where this demon lives. You know, this is. Oh, hey, here's this big Aztec temple. They're, 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 you know, they're sacrificing to, or it's an Inca temple. They're sacrificing to the sun God. Hey, that's where he hangs out. That's, that's the way it seems to work. I mean, there's a reason why when like, let's say the, the pagan temples of old were, if they weren't destroyed, they were reconsecrated. There's a reason why they have to be consecrated. They have to be blessed. Yes. And I think that that's an interesting discussion for us too. You know, we we dedicate and consecrate our holy places. Right. And look, I'm not going to say, "Oh, well that's just an external rite." You can believe that if you want. But our sanctuaries are holy by virtue of what we set them aside to do. And by Christ being there. The sanctuary is a holy place, which is why you should think twice about profaning it in certain ways. Episode for another time. And and so that when we ask God to bless a, a a church, it is setting it apart for holy use. And the early church understood this better. Okay, here's this pagan temple, but now we're going to repurpose it as a church. We're going to just we're going to get rid of it, and then we're going to reconsecrate this. So it has been dedicated to demons. Now we're dedicating it to God. Right. Right. Uh, a church dedication is not just meant to be a hey we've paid off the we've we've uh, put the last shingle on the roof so now let's have a party it's really setting it apart for its intended use right which is why your kids shouldn't run around in it 
Well, you know, in my previous parish, we finished that big restoration project. We had that huge remodel. The altar was moved out, everything. We had to move everything back in. At that point, we rededicated it. We essentially reconsecrate the building. Sure. Because for those months while it's being rebuilt, it's a common building. It's not treated as a church. It can't be. So now we're we're blessing it again. We're dedicating we dedicated it as a church again. And that's that's this principle being laid out. Holy see, we keep slipping back into blessed again. <laughs> Which is good and right and you know, whatever is good, whatever is pure, whatever is, you know, noble, that sort of thing. Think on these things. Yeah. So we're just we're just listening to Paul. But Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, look, look, we our in baptism right we are consecrated to god and i would and i would argue that that is both body and soul sure and so the man is and then what we have is then consecrated to god so as i as we build temples to the lord as we build our churches we consecrate them to him when we bring a new vestment in or a new gospel book or a new whatever new cross we dedicate all those things and bless all those things a bell well, if, if you want to really drive it home, I mean, we are the temple. Yeah. Your body is a temple. You are a physical place which has been set apart to God yeah. for him to dwell. I mean, if you really want to take it to its yeah. logical conclusion here. Yeah. So. I mean, look, the body is still suffering the effects of the curse. But the promise is, as you already mentioned in the first segment, that our body will be resurrected and glorified as he as his body is glorified. We will receive a body like that of Jesus. Is that not the promise? Yeah. Is that not I mean, the gospel promise? That's our hope. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I don't know. I'm always hesitant to call it a maggot sack. Apologies to Dr. Luther. But we, we have a tendency to spiritualize everything, to etherealize everything, and forget that the creation matters. Well, the Spirit's created too, but... Um, Right, right. The physical right, right. reality matters. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's now uh, let's look at another negative example of a uh, spirit affecting physical. Uh, you want to talk about Luke eight now? Yeah. So we're gonna we also want to look at Luke eight. This could also be Matthew eight, but we're just looking at Luke because we can. When Jesus comes to the Gerasenes and he meets the the man who are among the tombs, the demon possessed men who are living in an unclean place. And of course, we know the we know this passage. You know, this is the demon who demons who call themselves legion because there's so many in, in him. Uh, the sending out of the demons into the pigs, and then they are drowned in the sea. I mean, again, a very familiar passage. But what I think is interesting here is that this man, possessed as he is, chooses to live among the tombs. Yes, which is an unclean place. Right now. Now, I mean, we need to talk about what that means in terms of like Christian cemeteries, of course. But in this case, because of the bones of the dead and because that was considered to be an unclean place, the demons are, at least in this case, living in this place. So what do we make of that? You know, the, the in the case of this demoniac, it's very interesting to me because not only do we have him living among the tombs, but he has no clothes he seems to be harming himself. Right. Right. He can't be bound. And so you have self-harm, obsession with death, all of these things manifested in, you know, where he finds himself, right. the tombs. Uh, and none of this is by accident. The Lord in his time 
comes unto him. But it is manifested through harming of the body. I mean, of course, a corruption of the soul, but it's manifested outwardly in harming of the body and an obsession with here, an unclean place, the abode of the dead. Or not the abode of the dead, but the where, where there are corpses. Right. Sheol would be the abode of the dead, but but we're talking about a place where there are corpses. That's what makes it unclean. So an obsession with corpses, harm, and then Jesus is going to come, and what does he do? He casts out the demons. There are many of them, legion, and he puts them in a herd of pigs, an unclean animal, and then, of course, they all die. So the people come out to see this, and uh, the people are all seized with fear. And what Jesus tells him is, the, the man who has just been cleansed, return to your home, declare how much God has done for you. And he goes away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus has done for them. So he moves from being cursed himself with all of these demons to dwelling in an unclean, accursed place to now going into the city to bless the city by proclaiming what God has done for him. So I do think we see the transition from cursed to blessed in this text. <laughs> once and, again. <laughs> once again, and that the city is then going to be blessed. Now they're seized with fear, <laughs> the people who see him, the, right. the surrounding country rather. But at the same time, they're going to be blessed by one, a hearing of the miracle, but also seeing this man who has been delivered and who has been made clean. Yeah. No, and, and those are all good points. And I guess, the thing that, I, that I'm focusing on here is that dwelling among the tombs in particular, dwelling in the place where the dead are, you know, the physical corpses are, the bones are, that sort of thing, because it was considered to be unclean, that is where the demonic also is, you know, yeah. in that sense. It well, yeah, been. and all I'm saying is that's where the, demo the demons brought him to. Right. They felt an affinity for that place in this case. Yes. Now, the reason why I'm... I guess I'm kind of trying to figure out the best way to deal with this is I'm not saying that the church, the church graveyard is somehow cursed. That's not, not at all what's happening here. No, because I mean, we very deliberately talk about the blessing of a Christian grave, right? We, you know, we bless, we bless the graves of everyone we bury. Right. And that and is I would argue that by virtue of, of a Christian laying in the graveyard, that grave is, I mean, it's a holy place in and of itself. Right. There is the, here is this body of a Christian baptized in the Christ, this body that we are laying in the ground knowing it will be raised up. Right. It, it, we almost don't even need to bless it because it's blessed by virtue of them being there because the Holy Spirit dwelled in these bones. I'm, right. I'm not preaching relics here, but <laughs> it's very different because there is no clean and unclean. There is only clean in Christ. Right. So, you know, as Christ can touch a leper, he doesn't become unclean. The leper is cleansed. Christ can walk among the tombs and not be made impure. Christ can walk among the tombs and make those dry bones live. Right. So the Christian graveyard is transformed and is waiting for that final transformation. Christian graveyards are blessed places. Right. They're not, you could, you could, if you're a downer, if you want to go full loof here and go, oh no, they're testimonies to the curse. No, 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 no. They are testimonies to the resurrection. I am. We're 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 looking at each other on camera, and I realize now that our audience can't see me pointing. I'm pointing to my left. Not ten feet to my left is a is a Christian cemetery. Sure, that's that's a holy resting place for his people. Yes, people are going to grieve there because yes, the effects of the curse are evident there, 
but soon and very soon, it's going to be all the more evident the effects of the resurrection of Christ and the atonement of Christ. I can't help but let the gospel predominate in this episode, Zella. I'm it's, sorry. It's okay. No, it's okay. It's just I'm trying to explain <laughs> or trying to think of a good reason to explain why, in the case of the Gerasenes, that this cemetery is not blessed in the same way. And the, the two answers that I can think of in this case would be, one, the Gerasenes are kind of wicked people in themselves because they should be, you know, good, God-fearing people, but they're not listening to the law. That's why they have pigs. Um, they shouldn't have had pigs in the first place. Well, I mean, and you're also so, living in a time where ritual uncleanliness is still a thing. Right. Well, but I'm also thinking, and maybe, maybe correct me if you think this is going too far, the spirit is not yet the common possession of all. No, I, I agree with that. So... So we cannot say that this particular graveyard is, you know, the resting place of the temples of the Holy Spirit in the same way, because the Spirit has not yet been given to the church in the way that it does at Pentecost. Right. And look, demons just love death anyway. Right. Cleaner, let's let's take the cleanliness out of it, even though, I mean, that's textual there, but let's just talk about it in terms of the demons rejoice at our suffering and our grief. They don't, right. it's like they, they may sort of fathom the resurrection, but they're still pretty happy when we're dead. They they like harm. They like bringing people there too. Yeah. But I would agree just in the legal sense, it's, it can still be considered unclean because they're not yet the temples of the Holy Spirit in the same way. Right. But that's sort of thinking, sort of thinking the long way through it. Right. Um, and demons also too, they love to take, and this is sort of off subject, but good symbols and turn them into bad things. Sure. So they can they can try to destroy someone's faith even in a Christian graveyard. Is what I'm saying. They can sure. try to drive people to despair from the grave of their loved ones that they are grieving. It's kind of like the cross of Saint Peter, right? The upside down cross is a Christian symbol, whether Satanists believe that or not, because it's meant to be the symbol of Saint Peter who was crucified upside down. But right. demons have taken that and turned it into a bad thing. You know, by virtue of oh no, the upside down cross is anti is meant to be an inversion of Christianity or something. Uh, so the demons can take good things and twist them around too, things that aren't necessarily cursed. Not what's happening in Luke eight. That's that's clearly a an unclean place. Do you do you want to open the can of worms and talk about why they would refuse to bury certain people in centuries past in a Christian cemetery? Go ahead, Zolan. We got a few minutes. Let's end on that one. You're gonna. We're gonna end on that. <laughs> well, I mean, it just it just made me think of it because if we think of a Christian graveyard as a holy place, as a blessed place, those who have engaged in particular and outright sins, uh, to to have them buried in that ground. I mean, this is the thinking that went with it. Would bring a a curse into the place, right? Right. And I mean, that's, uh, that's the thinking. Yeah, that's the idea. Um, the The early church, and well, really all the way up into, frankly, the modern church, because this still exists in Protestantism for a while, sure. kind of understood this idea between blessed and cursed, and whether right or wrong. Now, of course, um, because of that Luther movie, our people are forever confused about this, right. uh, because there's that scene in the in the newer Luther movie where. He he buries the suicide victim in church ground, right? And that's all they they think about it in terms of that. But Luther is still very much a person who believes in cursed lands. 
this demon dwells by this lake. Don't go there. He says that in one of his writings. So you can't you can't make Luther say something he's not. But yeah, yeah, the old custom was you had to fit certain qualifications to be buried in the church in the church cemetery. Right. Because that was considered holy ground. Whether right or wrong. I mean, we're running out of time, so we don't really have a of time to debate that. I mean, but most I mean, of us are not gonna do that. Right. Today. But I mean, and I guess the only reason I bring it up is because I think it just becomes another example of what it is that we're talking about, that there is such a thing as a a holiness to a physical place, and there can also be an unholiness, and it's possible to, I guess you could say, go one way or the other. Yeah. That you can defile a holy place and you can consecrate an unholy one. So, yes, these concepts... Um, also apply to the physical creation. And we see that at work in many different ways. And I guess, in essence, that's really what we're trying to drive at with this episode. So, Right. Well, it's been a fun one. Uh, any any final words before we... <laughs> I mean, is there anything else we can bring up to really just up up the weirdness for the, for the end of this episode? Or... <laughs> no, you know, got to rustle some jimmies every now and then. <laughs> no, thank it, you for... It, it's yeah, it's ahead. it's good, and I think, and I think all told, our our point with this is that you know we should take these things seriously because we can see God at work also in His physical creation, and that has applications far beyond just a simple you know this land is cursed, this land is blessed. These implications extend also into our salvation, into eternity, and what it means for us to live our daily lives as well. Very good. Well, this has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi. God love you, and God bless. The Lord could no longer bear your evil deeds and the abominations that you committed. Therefore, your land has become a desolation and a waste and a curse without inhabitant as it is this day. It is because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and in his statutes and in his testimonies that this disaster has happened to you as at this day. Jeremiah chapter 44.